hello, and welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where you can find practical help for the heart and home as we ponder life from a biblical perspective, as well as a weekly digital dose of discipling to help equip us to be better effective in the opportunities that God places before us to further His kingdom. Hello and welcome back to Moments with Moni. This is episode number 153. Today we'll be speaking on preparedness. Are you prepared? Well, there's much talk today of being prepared for all the ugly times ahead that many are predicting and encouraging you to be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. There is also much talk about the loss of strength and power of the United States, but with all that talk, I don't hear much talk about being spiritually prepared for what is coming at the end of this church age. I read a Barna Group statistic, and I know some of you may not be into statistics, but this one was so extreme that it has stuck in my craw. I must have picked that southern term up living down here this past year, and I just love their accents. I'm kind of the one that stands out because my accent is different down here. Anyway, the statistic claimed that 91% of adult believers do not have a biblical worldview, and 98% of millennial believers do not have a biblical worldview. As shocking and appalling as that is, it's not a surprise to me, for the Bible plainly tells us that there will be a falling away of believers from the truth of God's word and a turning away from God. When I was young and learning the word and then sharing it with others, I was always reminded about the saying that the truth of the scriptures is only one generation away from being lost forever. With statistics like this, it looks like we are very close to another prophecy, a fourth telling of God's word that may soon come to light. In this church age, we are to defend the faith and keep the scriptures pure, and yet if we look around, we see more opinions than doctrines. For quite some time, words have been changed to confuse listeners, and attacks on absolute truth have made way for circular logic. Non-conclusionists give us pretty firm, absolute comments when they're aimed to convince others that they are not irrational in their belief of differentiating knowledge from belief, and then question belief to deny religious truth. For example, nihilists that believe that all values are baseless and reject the general, fundamental aspects of human existence such as objective truth, are just another example of circular non-logic. And on the subject of faith, they say it's not provable to the intellectual theist that faith is only interpretive, which makes me wonder how they can believe that statement since they can't believe in anything. So a religious fear would overwhelm their so-called rational thought? Their truth being science, technology, and evolution, in the end, with these beliefs, they are only closer to the truth, 
with no real conclusion as the circular logic goes round and round, like a merry-go-round. Sure, it makes great for intellectual conversations, but we were warned that these last days, that the longer the king is gone, the worse it will get. And the endless intellectual conversations and quest for intellectual interpretiveness will not bring them to the knowledge of the truth. God has clearly said to take hold of the truth. But where are we to find it in the world where the meaning of words are being changed to confuse and divide? How are we to gather a literal foundation of the truth if literalism now defines literal as a bad word? It wouldn't be so bad if these things were going on outside of the church because we wouldn't expect unbelievers to act according to the scriptures. But it goes deep into the heart of the churches, which is reflected in the statistics we heard earlier. Another saying from days past that has swirled about is, don't preach to the choir. God is also clear when he says, judgment begins at the house of God. Perhaps it's time to preach to the choir once more. So now that we are finished with the book of Ruth, it might be time for a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Oh, wait, no, that's from a fairy tale. Time for some doctrine and definitions to go along with that application in the arena of life. So gather your notebook and pen or pencil and listen in as we begin with some background and history of the culture. And let's grab hold of the truth together as we dig into the book of Ephesians. To help us understand the book, let's look at a little bit of the history behind the book of Ephesians first. It was written by Paul when he was in Rome under house arrest. He turns every imprisonment into a ministry of his. The letter of Ephesians was written 10 years after his third missionary journey. It was written in 61 to 63 AD. Paul's imprisonment was on some bogus charges, but he pleaded to Caesar. After writing to the Corinthians on a specific problem within that church, Ephesians was a letter, a circular letter, that was written to seven churches of Revelation, of which Ephesus was one of them. And in Revelation, Jesus speaks to Ephesus and tells them, I know your works. They are good. You're doing a good job, but you have left your first love. I need you to remember, repent, and repeat those first works of love. I like how our church, every Sunday after the message, we're reminded to go love first when we walk out those doors because that is our reputation to others. That is how we show others that Jesus is love and that he loves them, because we are maybe the only Bible that someone else may read. Podcasts are nice that way, too, when we use them to learn more about the Bible and be able to share God's word with others. Ephesus was Paris-like of the Roman world, It had a huge theater, the Temple of Diana, and there was a major seaport. There were reports that came to Paul in prison about some there that were not recognizing Gentile believers as really a part of the kingdom. So Paul addresses the Jews and the Gentiles 
in a general letter of common ground and grace in Jesus. The whole book is only six chapters long, and you can probably read it in about 20 minutes. But there's so much packed in here that it's going to take a long time to unpack, especially if we're not familiar with a lot of the terms. But don't let that scare you off, because how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, that's right. I'll be breaking down the book of Ephesians into three different sections. Who we are in chapters 1 to 3, our call as the believer. And then how are we supposed to conduct ourselves as believers in chapter 4 through 6, verse 9. And then what are we supposed to do? As a believer, we will encounter conflict. So, Chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, we'll cover that. But before we dig into a single verse, we need to understand a little bit about the culture that was going on there. As Ephesians, people in Ephesus, they would understand what happens when Rome took over a country of theirs. They lived through that. And Paul used all of those examples as he's going through explaining to them in this circular letter what he needs them to understand. As we look at this from our century, we are not familiar with the pictures that Paul uses in these chapters and how he's explaining the heavens and spiritual blessings and predestination and so much more to the Ephesians, unless we take a look at what was going on during their time. So Rome was kind of the big guy on the block. They built the roads and they continued to conquer tribe after tribe. So eventually you kind of knew you were on their list to conquer. So this physical reality is something that Paul uses to help them understand what he's going to explain later. This physical aspect of their life helps them and us realize what Paul is talking about. So when a tribe was conquered and became Roman citizens, they were at first second-class citizens in that Roman colony. And that tribe, within that tribe, they were chosen by a Roman family, kind of take them under their wing, and they were adopted by a Roman family family. And that tribe received a portion of the land that was part of their Roman family, an inheritance. And that tribe received a small round token to wear on their armor as they went to war for Rome, which symbolized their inheritance. This tribe was also given a new name, a Roman clan family name attached to the land. And the tribe was sent to school to learn Roman citizenship etiquette, which is where this tribe learned to conduct themselves worthy of Romans and how to walk and conduct themselves as a Roman. For one thing, it wasn't fine for a tribe to live as forest dwellers in a Roman civilized world. We can't have that. We can't have nice things. And also the tribe learned the rank in the military of the Romans. They learned how to bow to the senators. After the conquered tribe went through all of that to become a Roman citizen, 
they could then be reinstalled in the military at the previous tribe's rank and then be given weapons. After their training, they were given a belt, a breastplate, shoes, a shield, a helmet, and of course, a sword, which at that time was not a big broadsword, but a small dagger. These bits of history and culture should give us a little more insight as we dig into the book of Ephesians. So let's go ahead and start with chapter 1. Father God, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would make it real to us, that you would help us to prepare our souls for our spiritual present and future, our eternity with you. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word so that we can learn more about who you are and who we are in you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we have Paul, who used to be Saul and used to torture the church until Jesus got a hold of him, is writing to the faithful in Jesus Christ there in Ephesus. Here we have faithful believers that believe in Jesus and all that he stands for, who are living in a world that's filled with ugly things like homosexuality, prostitution, and the worship of Diana, of Artemis. Rampant sin was abounding. Does that sound like today? Yeah, I think so too. We might learn something from this. Does anyone here find it difficult to live for Christ today? Yeah, with all this to tempt us around us. Paul was also reminding them that they are secure in their standing in Jesus. He says to the Ephesians, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Once we are in Christ's hand, there is no one that can pull us out. And then Paul greets them with grace first and then with peace, which is an important way of stating it because you can't have peace without grace first. Grace in the Strong's is explained as graciousness, gratifying manner or act, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in our life, or gratitude, joy, thankfulness. Webster's Dictionary defines grace as favor or unmerited favor, mercy, pardon. Peace in the Strong's is peace or quietness with rest and tranquility. Karl Marx wrote about a new man and a new society, but he saw man and society both most purely in economic terms and offered only economic answers. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul saw a new man and a new society, but Paul saw it from a much different viewpoint. He saw all these things that will be accomplished in and through the Ephesians and also through us by the work of Jesus Christ. So in this time of uncertainty, as the world offers constant news and fear and anxiety, God has something else to offer, 
So let's prepare our hearts to learn more from his word and prepare our spirits to meet him face to face one day and to prepare us for the work that he has prepared for us a long time ago. For such a time as this, you are here. Are you prepared? If you enjoy what you're hearing here on the podcast, I invite you to share it with a friend. I also invite you to go to the blog at momentswithmoni.com where you can buy me a coffee or support me through a monthly membership. Just hit the big yellow button on the blog. Thanks again for listening to Moments with Moni. 